Aleluya. Well, praise God. Father, we thank you. We give you glory in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. So worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. There's just a, such a lightness of His presence when you open up your heart to receive. You know, some people walk around life so heavy. It's like, oh. It's like a weight's upon their back. You know, it says, cast your cares or throw your burdens onto the Lord for He cares for you. Amen. There's things that we were never meant to carry and that was pretty much everything. Our, our only job is to believe what Jesus has said about us. And worship just allows us to let go of those things that we've been holding on to. Hallelujah. Well, let's jump right in this morning. We are on week number three of our new series on who we are in Christ Jesus. And here in Acts chapter 19, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took, upon, took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus! You know, I can just hear the theatrics in it when I, when I vision it in my head. Whom Paul preaches. So it's not Jesus who we're in a relationship with. It's not Jesus we serve. It's not Jesus our Lord. It's not Jesus our Savior. It's not Jesus the King. It's Jesus that some other guy preaches. So that's the perspective that they're coming at this situation with. They're, and we told you last week, really, they're just trying to make a buck. They're thinking, if we can command this type of thing like Paul does, maybe we can get people to pay for us. We see it with Simon the sorcerer when Philip and uh, got them all saved in their region of Samaria. And then Peter and John came down and got them filled with the Holy Spirit. They said, here, take my money. Give me this gift so that I can do this as well. You know, so we see their motivations behind it. It wasn't out of relationship. It wasn't out of love for the people. It was out of motivation for increase. And uh, in verse 14, it says, there was also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And I love that. He says, And the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. But the question that he asked was, Who are you? And now in the, in the context of the story, they were nobodies. They didn't, the evil spirit didn't have to obey them, but you know that they have to obey you because of who you are. Amen. Who you are. And so this whole series that we're doing, and we're going to continue on, is about who you are in Christ Jesus. Because we need to understand who we are and live out of the reality of that. It's not just a fantasy or a dream. Oh, that's nice. We need to take the things that the Word of God says about it and apply it to our lives and live out of who we have been designed to be. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, this is the main scripture we're preaching out of, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is 
a new creation. Is, is right now. Not going to be. It's something has already transpired in your life when you received Jesus and became, became in Christ that you became a new creation. Say it with me. I am a new creation. So it's talking about the reality of what has already taken place. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now last week we focused on the necessity of why there needs to be a new birth, why there needs to be a new creation. We have two men who had tremendous influence on your nature and your makeup of who you are as a person. One was Adam. He screwed it up for everybody and passed it on to everyone who came after him in the genetic line of Adam, and that is everybody. There's nobody who did not come through Adam. And so he passed it on and he messed it up for all of us. And I said, you know, Adam's going to need security in heaven so that everybody's like, my goodness, you, what did you do to us? But you know what? It doesn't really matter what Adam did because the second Adam came and his name was Jesus. And what Adam screwed up, Jesus fixed and did a better job. He tied it all up so that it can't be screwed up again. There'll be no other Adam that will affect who you are ever again. Jesus was the last, the only one you'll ever need. And so we are new creations because of what Jesus did. He told Nicodemus that you must be born again. You must be born of the water, which was your natural birth, and then you must be born of the Spirit, which was your recreation, your new creation in Christ Jesus. And so there was a necessity. It's not that we don't get saved, we don't come to Jesus and ask Him into our hearts because we've been bad people. And that's what the emphasis of Christianity has been too long. Come to Jesus and he'll make you a better person. Well, yes, that happens by, by, but naturally, as you begin to feed off the love that he has now shed abroad in your heart, most people do become better people. Some people are stuck in their ways and their nature, and I don't think there's anything you could do to make them change. But Christianity is not the great change. It's not you turning from your sins. It's Jesus obliterating your sins on the cross and burying them in the grave. And so it's not that we were bad people. Some of us were, some of us weren't. It didn't matter how good or how bad you were. He didn't look at your works. He looked at Jesus. And so we have to filter everything through that. Identity is really important. You know, I was listening to a, a CBC radio program of all things. I never listened to CBC. And... Uh, it was a few weeks ago, and there was a Somalian guy on there talking about how they do identification in Somalia because they don't have a government. The government collapsed a long time ago. They don't have passports. They don't have, you know, all these identification cards that we would have, and he was explaining how they do it. He said, when we name our kids, we give them a name, and then we give them all their ancestors' names. So they'd get their father's name, their grandfather's name, and they'd go down the line as long as they can remember. And he said, some people have 15, 16, generations of names within there and if you get pulled over by a, an official they ask you who you are and you go I am John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt and you go all down the list and and that's how they know who you are they understand your ancestry through it you want to know what happened in Jesus it's Jesus 
When you pull out your identification, it's Jesus. That's the only identification you need in the kingdom of God. There's no 15 generations of names. And they said, you know, it helps us find commonality. We can go back like 15 generations and we find out, oh wait, we had the same ancestor. And it helps bind us together is what the guy was saying. Guess what? Jesus is what binds you together in your new creation reality. You have all been made together one in Christ Jesus. It's the same lineage, the same ancestry that we now have. It doesn't matter how good our upbringing was or how bad it was, it all changed in Jesus. So we need to learn to identify with who we have become versus who we've always known. And some of this makes us have to change the way we think a little. Because maybe we got brought up to think a certain way, and that now needs to change in Jesus. We need to be able to think the what, in terms of how He has created us to be. Yeah. So in week number one, we told you in Romans 8.15, it says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. And I really like that part because you have to understand, we have it really good here. You know, the things that we've been ta taught to, learn, uh, to believe about the Bible and the truth of the Bible, not everybody believes those things. And I, it's sad that how much wrong things get taught in churches these days. Even after I started this, um, this sermon, sermon series a few weeks ago, I was listening on the radio and this very popular minister got on, and you want to know what his message was? how we are slaves who have been turned into friends. That we have been elevated to the status of friends. And that's good. You can be friends with God. Gail and I had a good conversation about it. You can be friends with God, but that is not where your identity is found. I am not a slave who has been made a friend. I am a son of Almighty God. And I can have a good relationship with Him and have a friendship with Him, but if my first identity is as a son... And so this minister, as he went on, this was the verse he used in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And he went on to say that you only choose two things. You choose a slave, you get to choose who you buy at the slave market, and you get to choose who you be friends with. And so God has chosen to be your friend, and he's taken off the bonds of slavery. And it sounded like a good message, but we have to understand this is before the cross. Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. And so he said, I'm not treating you disciples, though they were slaves to sin. They have not been regenerated in the new birth at this point. And so Jesus is saying, I look past that, everything that the world has done to you, and I choose to treat you as friends. But you want to know where we are? Let's fast forward to Jesus' intention. This is his last prayer for his disciples before he goes to the cross. He says, I don't pray for these alone, but for all those who believe in me through your word. So he's saying, for everyone who will ever believe, this is what I'm praying, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. So he said, what I want you to do, God, and here's what I'm praying, my last prayer before I go to the cross is I want you to make them just like us. I want them to be in the same relationship you and I have between you and them and me and them and all of us together. 
So Jesus wasn't saying, I want you to free them from their slavery and make them friends. He said, I want you to make them like our relationship. What was his relationship? Father God, only Son Jesus. You know, sometimes we have to think about it. We don't have to call him the only Son Jesus anymore because that's not true any longer. Many kids in the family. At the time he was the only son, no longer. So, Paul said, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. So, if God, you only choose slaves and friends, well, I just found another one, something you choose. When you adopt someone, you choose them. That little baby, when you fly to China or Mongolia or wherever, doesn't do anything to earn your love. You choose it. You give it your love, and you give it a family. And that's exactly what Jesus and God have done to us. We are sons and daughters of Almighty God. So our very first point of identity, where we always go back to, is I am a child of the King. That's the very first and most important thing about your identity. It says in Romans 8.29, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. Let's just, that's a great statement in itself. Not kind of like His Son, not like a quarter like His Son. It just says, like His Son. So it's not Jesus and far, 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 as far as we can go down, there we are. No, he made us like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I am a child of God. That's my identity. So this morning, I want to preach to you out of, a, out of a Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, we find a story you've probably heard quite a bit about. It's a very popular story in the Bible, and it starts this way. A man had two sons. What did the man have? Sons. The man did not have slaves. He had sons. It's very important before we go anywhere else in this story that we get that into our thinking. They were sons. What are you? Sons and daughters. So when he's, he's talking about the kingdom and what can happen within the kingdom of God, and he's talking about how the father relates to his children and how the children sometimes act. And so it says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide up his wealth between his sons. And I always, every time, I, you got to realize what he did. He said, I wish you were dead. That's what he told the father. I wish you were dead because I want my stuff now. And so the father said, well, you know what? Go ahead and have it. And so he divided his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. Now, it doesn't tell us what that wild living was. In the, in the King James, it calls it prodigal 
living. And the word prodigal doesn't mean like he was a drug addict or he was in prostitutes or whatever. It just means he was lavish. Maybe he liked to have big parties and feasts and, you know, banquets with everybody. We don't know. We just know that he had lavish parties with the money that he had. And this is about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So he's gone from favored son to hungry slave. He's come down a long way. But the important thing that he just said there is that no one gave him anything. When you're in the position of a slave, people don't give you things. And so he's found himself that how good it was to be with the father. He didn't really have to work. We know he was kind of lazy. It wasn't until his money was gone that he decided, maybe I should get a job. Maybe the first thought would have been, what am I going to do with this money that I'm given? Maybe I should invest it, build a business or whatever. That was the farthest things from this son's thoughts. And so he's found himself in the position of now he's serving someone else and no one is giving him anything. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. His thought was this, my father treats his slaves better than this. So he's thinking, better to be a slave in my father's house where at least I get fed than a slave out here and get nothing. Nobody gives me anything. The pig's food seems good to me. So he says this, he puts the plan together. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Got to hear the performance in it. Please take me on as one of your hired servants. You know, a slave mentality will always try and bargain with God. You don't need to bargain with God. We just finished a whole series on faith where he says, this is the confidence that I have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. You don't have to bargain with God. You ask. And we even see that reflected in this situation. Though the son was about to go down a path of destruction, he asked the father for his part of the inheritance, and the father gave. Because the heart of the father is to give. And so the slave mentality has been got into this son, and now he wants to bargain. I can't be your son anymore. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of that position anymore. Just make me one of the servants. That, that'll be good enough. So he tries to swing a bargain. See, it sounds good in his head. You know, sometimes the thoughts that pass between your ears sound good when you think them, and then when you try and act them out, they're entirely another thing. Anybody ever been there? It was a good idea. You know, Harrison and Bennett have lots of good ideas in their heads, and then sometimes we just shake our heads up and go, what were you thinking? What were you doing? So, 
He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You want to know why he saw him? He was looking, because he was a far way off. It's not like somebody wandered into the yard and like, oh, he's back. He was a long way off. The father was watching. And the father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his, everybody say it, son. son and embraced him and kissed him. What was the last conversation in the son's head? I'm not worthy to be a son. Let me be a slave. What is the first thought on the father's mind? My son is home. The son's experience made him feel unworthy, but none of his feelings changed the heart of God. Think about that for a second when you start, wake up in the morning thinking you're not sure how you're going to make things work out or you just don't feel good about your relationship with God. Those are feelings. And they are actually not indicative of God's heart. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says we walk by faith and not by sight. The word sight is the word outward appearance. Sometimes we look at things and say, how can God be in this? We don't go by our sight. We don't go by our feelings. We go by what the Word has said about us. Amen. So, his son, he's got the speech rehearsed in his head, right? He's probably been thinking how he's going to talk to his father this whole walk home. We, don't, we just know that he went to a faraway land. We don't know how long it took him to get back. But the, probably the whole time he's thinking, okay, i got to do it this way, i got to say it this way, because he's thinking, how can I bargain? How can I manipulate? And so he goes right into it. Father... I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But, oh, you got to love a good but in the Bible. You really do. Because we try to force our way, and God has completely other intentions for the situation. And every time you see a but, he's turning the situation around. And if your situation feels like it's lost, go ahead and let God insert a but into the center of it and change your future. So, but, his father said to the servants, not to him, to the servants, quick, Bring me my finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. So the son crawls his way into the house and the father picks him up and says, get him dressed better than this. Put the ring back on his finger. Let's clean off those dirty feet and let's have some food. Remember that when you're feeling down about yourself. Just because you feel down hasn't changed God. God celebrates sonship, not slavery. And you are sons and daughters of Almighty God. I love what Colossians 2.18 says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Why does it say, and the worship of angels? Some Christians put angels on a higher pedestal than where God has put you. And they get that from some mistranslations of the Bible where it says, and God has made us a little lower than the angels. But that is not 
what God said. The word, he says, made us a little lower than Elohim, which is God. It's God, you. Angels are down here. You want to know why God doesn't treat you like a servant or a slave? He's already got enough of them, and they're called angels. They're created to serve him. They're created to do his bidding. You were created to fellowship with God. Remember last week we said we go back to God's original intention for humanity? And what was it? He made him in his likeness and his image. He gave him dominion or caused him to rule over the earth. And then he came down and walked with him. Because he wasn't looking for a slave. He was looking for a son. So he made it. Same image. Same likeness. Same ability to rule. So don't take on false humility Bring yourself up to the level God actually puts you on. Don't worship angels as something being big. book of Hebrews tells us that they are ministers to the heirs of salvation. Basically, they work on your behalf. That's a good thing. <laughs> and then verse 19 says, And holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments and grows with the increase that is from God. So he gives us the picture. He's saying, don't go with the false humility. Remember, you're part of the body. Let me ask you something. Doug, is your head attached to your body? Does the same blood flow through your head that flows through your body? Do the same nerves that come start at your brain go through the rest of your body? The answer is yes to all of that. The head and the body are one. If someone walked in here with their head in their hand and the, not attached to their body, we'd be freaking out, right? So let's not be like that in our thinking as Christians. We are attached to the head. The same things that flow through the head flow through the body. The same blood that sustains the head sustains the body. The same things that nourish the head nourish the body because we've been, what did Jesus pray? Make them one just like we are one. So your identity is very much rooted in the fact that you are created to be connected to God. The same things that flow to Him flow to you. So, he goes on to say, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which were above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of, the, of God. So he's saying, if you've been raised with Him, maybe you should put your thoughts and your thinking up there with Him. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we have been raised up with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. That's why he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation because you've been put into him. So he says in the next verse, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Next time someone tries to bring up your faults, your failures, and how you can't do it, you go ahead and say, that person's dead. I tell you, he did. He did. Don't let people bring up your past. You know, I like something that Brother Hagin said. After he got saved and God healed him and raised him up off the deathbed, he was walking around town and he met up with one of his old friends 
And this friend's like, hey, Kenneth, do you remember how we used to break into that store and steal the candy and everything like that? And he just flat out said to him, I don't know what you're talking about. That guy's dead. He's like, you didn't die. You're sitting right here with me. He's like, I tell you, that one is dead. And we need to treat the old man like that. It's dead. Let it be in the grave. Stop resurrecting it up and dragging it around like a zombie movie. You don't need that raggedy old bag of bones anymore. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You want to hear a great translation of that out of the distilled Bible? It's, I consider myself having died and now enjoying my second existence, which is simply Jesus using my body. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! you got to treat it as dead so that you can treat what you're in now as life. But as long as you keep bringing up the old man and the old way of thinking, it stops you from walking in the new man and the new way you should be thinking. Whew. Okay, let's, let, let's go back to the two sons. Verse 23. The father says, And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For his, this son of mine was dead. Whew. You died with Christ, right? He was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found, so the party began. And you can think that the story was great after that, but there's still another son. Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, oh, shut it off on there. Get back up here. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And it said, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all of these years I have, say it with me, slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to and in all that time you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends that sounds rewind back to the first son when he was a slave in someone else's house what did he say no one ever gave me anything so here we have the second son who stayed in the kingdom, but it acts like a slave in the house of the Father. And too many Christians feel they're a slave to God rather than the son of Him. And no one ever gave them anything. That's because they didn't need anyone to give them anything. All they had to do was ask and partake. Man, if Christians would get their head on straight and realize this. God is not looking for you to do his bidding. Yeah, he may ask you to do some things, but we do those out of relationship, not out of obligation. You know, when you constantly have to do something because of your obligation, it causes resentment. 
And you're like, oh, I don't want to have to do this, but I guess I must because God asked me to do it. <laughs> when you understand his heart and his best interests for you and how he's trying to raise you as his son or daughter to walk in the things of the kingdom, if he says something, you just do it and say, I know God's got something great planned for me in this. So, back to the other son's pity fest. Verse 30 says, Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you kill, celebrate by killing the fattened calf. We don't know that's what he was doing. We just know it said that he had a lavish lifestyle. But obviously, the, son had, the other son had some thoughts about what his brother was doing. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, not... Hey, slave, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Let's think about what Peter said. He has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The next verse says that he's given unto us great and precious promises. And from our singing this morning, we quoted another verse that says, all the promises in him are yes and amen. The son was living out a slave, life as a slave, not realizing everything in the house was already his. He was there to command the servants, but yet he was acting like one. You can be a daughter or a son and have the mentality of a slave but God really wants you to change your thinking and realize you are his kid. So let's end with this verse. Romans chapter 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you. And it tells us what his will is which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, I've heard too many Christians say, I can't serve God because if I do, he'll send me to Africa as a missionary. <laughs> if you don't already have that desire in your heart, guess what? He's not going to be sending you there. But do you know what happens? When you press into the heart of God, you begin to understand his never-ending love his overwhelming compassion for you, in spite of every situation you may go through, he's got greater plans for you. So Father, we thank you that you have made us sons and daughters. You have made us the kids of the kingdom. You've put it all at our disposal, Father. We thank you that you have given it to us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. There was no greater gift that was ever given, nor will ever be given, than you, Jesus. Because with that one work, you made it right forever. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for who you have made us to be in Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Well, maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet. Thanks for tuning in with us today but you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, don't wait another moment. There needs to be that new creation experience. Maybe you're in this building this morning too and you need to go through that experience. 
it only takes one cry out to Him. And so we're all going to pray together. Father, we thank You for Jesus. And right now we receive Him. In Jesus' name. And that's it. It's so easy. Now, if you prayed that prayer with us this morning at home, I want you to get in touch with us so that we can hook you up with a good church in your area. It's important to feed upon the Word of God and find out who you are in Him. We thank you for tuning in. And guys, I want to say thank you for coming this morning. You guys were great. It was a great time of worship and you were really pulling during preaching this morning. I want, really want to encourage you in the future. I know some of you do it. When you're coming here, go ahead and pray and talk to God and say, Father, I know you've got something for me this morning. I open my heart to receive it. And I pull on your gift in Jesus' name. You will find that when you do that, messages will change for you. You'll be like, oh, I was thinking about that last week. And then all of a sudden, God gives you the answer for it. You'd be amazed of how many times I go way off my notes because the Holy Spirit's pulling me in that direction. If you need something, talk to Him. He gives to His kids. You don't need to bargain. You just ask and He gives. So Father, we thank You. We give You praise in this place this morning. And we thank You for the amazing week we are about to have. We look forward to it with expectation. In Jesus' name, Amen. You guys are blessed. Let's have some coffee and fellowship. Have a great week.